0: Hi, it's James. Just before we get started, I wanted to let you know we recorded this one back in March, just before lockdown began. We've recorded a couple since, and we've got some more coming up, but we wanted to get this one out. Hope you enjoy it. Welcome to season four of the Do More Good podcast. Welcome
1: to the Do More Good podcast. The Do More Good podcast. Welcome to
2: Do more
0: good
2: podcast do more good do good do more do more good podcast do more good podcast that's what you want me to say okay you're listening to the
0: do more good podcast live from a cafe in central london this is your 14th favorite social good show the do more good podcast
1: what was room for improvement jimbo Here we are, James, episode number 52 of the Do More Good
0: podcast. How are you doing? Good as ever, Kenneth, thank you. I'm feeling a bit guilty tonight. I am supposed to be out for a 10-mile run. With the guys from home, but I am here, sat in a pub with you. So oh, um, don't tell anyone. <laughs> is that for your landmarks training? Yes. So it's kind of last big run, really, and then okay. we start tapering it down. But uh but yeah, looking forward to How it. How's your fundraising going? Ah, oh, smashed it, flying. I'm doing all right. Yeah. Are you not too bad? Come yeah. on. I mean, obviously, any more is uh, <laughs> is welcome. Always but, welcome. Um, but yeah, we've hit targets, that's nice. I've got, t- I've got t- maybe and me, obviously I've got two pages. But yeah, no, it's going all right. You've got two pages? Well, because my wife works for a charity as well, so I have to oh, obviously okay. you know, fundraise for her as well. Yes. So yeah, just double the, double the problems. So the right.
1: one that doesn't end up in your income line at work, your, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. I can see which one you're promoting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's good. How about you? Yeah, I'm on? okay. Oh, obviously, lots of talk of coronavirus. Uh, I think this is probably going out in a couple of weeks, so by this point, probably, you know, it's, it's complete, the streets are completely quiet. Everyone's this will be all uh, anyone
0: has to communicate yeah. through the Do
1: More Good podcast. I exactly. We're probably all locked up in our houses. Yeah. But no, I'm uh, I'm good. There's been lots of good things going on. A, a couple of highlights from me. I saw Kate Lee get the CEO job at Alzheimer's Society recently. I just wanted to give that a shout out. I've never met the woman before, but she just seems to have... That aura of positivity and engagement, and of course, Alzheimer's Society have been through a, you know a, a difficult period. It's been well publicised, but uh, speaking to a few of their staff and and just that wave of energy that she she's come in on, uh, really looking yeah. forward to seeing what she she does with that organisation. And of yeah. course, you know, dementia and previously working at Alzheimer's Research UK, it's it's cl- it's close to my heart. So yeah, well, I was a, I'm intrigued. a big
0: fan of Click Sargent, so kind of
1: absolutely knew
0: about her from there. Certainly, she comes across, and I only know her through Twitter, mm. but she comes across really positive, really personable. She was making jokes about being able to spell Alzheimer's the other Alzheimer's. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really yeah. kind of showing vulnerability as well is, is key for getting people to love you. So well, we're all well a channel, that. which we'll probably come on to we a little bit later on. on. Seen the notes. Um, yeah. But
1: yeah, other than that, I've been preparing for my children's cub camp. Oof. So my 10 year old and my eight year old daughters are going on their first cub camp this weekend, Friday and Saturday. I must say I'm a little bit nervous. But we tried to pack their bags last night and I mean we it took us it took us two hours and we must have got five items <laughs> in each bag. It's it's a complex complex experience. Okay, okay. Yeah. And
0: what are they taking? What I'm five not, items are they taking? What take? aren't
1: they taking, right. I think is the is the question. But yeah, that's going on and, and you know, yeah, just generally we've had a good week on the Do More Good Podcast. We've got lots lots of guests lined up, lots of people getting in touch. We got we got Someone said we were hilarious today. I know. Were they laughing with us or at well, us? Definitely at us. Okay. Definitely at um, us. But, but no. Um,
0: we saved the best till last, right? <coughs> exactly.
1: Exactly. So anyway, we've it on. Shall we crack on with this week's guest? Let's do that. Okay. So... Our guest this week is a fundraising catalyst, uh, helping charities adapt their approach to fundraising in today's fast-changing world by really leveraging the new rules of communication. He's over 30 years' experience, including the director of fundraising at Farm Africa, ActionAid UK, and most recently as chief fundraiser at SolarAid. He was also awarded, back in 2001, Fundraiser of the Year at the Institute of Fundraising, which is a, a great accolade to get. Did you it's great get that? That,
0: well, he's, he's amazing that he's brought his trophy with him as well <laughs> this evening. So. Exactly. Carries it around everywhere.
1: But our guest is also a trustee of, of Sophie, the Showcase of Fundraising, Inspiration and Innovation, <laughs> and on the advisory board of the International Fundraising Congress, the IFC. He's also an associate consultant for ACA, philanthropy and fundraising. And he blogs and tweets at iFundraiser, so I'm sure some of our listeners would have come across him before. And there really isn't much our guest today doesn't know about fundraising, so we're really
2: excited to invite... Richard Turner to the Do More Good Podcast. <laughs> How are you, Richard? Yeah, thank you very much. I don't know quite about that. I think I'm always learning about fundraising. Um, you know, that's what makes it so so fascinating, isn't it, as a, as a topic and Absolutely. a subject. Absolutely. Yeah. And
1: this is your second appearance on the Do More Good Podcast. You did have a special kind of... Moment
2: during the IFC special back in October. Fleeting moment, yeah. Yeah. And I think that was your debut at IFC, wasn't it? It You know, what did you think? What? What? what, How did you find uh, coming to IFC? We were we were
0: talking about it just the other day, and we absolutely loved it. We compared it to Glastonbury Mm. for that (laughs) sense of majesty about it. It was it was fantastic. There is
2: something special about it. I I leave exhausted but fully re-energized and inspired and i don't know quite how it does that but it, it does seem to paradoxically to i left completely broken and
0: <laughs> <laughs> and also also uh, very inspired as you say yeah absolutely the same
1: i think just the conversation like every every interaction i think that i had there in terms of the small conversations that you had with people that you met you know from all of the different realms of the of the globe i think that was kind of a special thing for me but just yeah as i touched on before we started recording there was something something special about that event in terms of the environment the culture mm-hmm. the atmosphere which i've never ever experienced before and i've been to plenty of events not so many in fundraising only been in fundraising for the last five or six years but you know prior to that it, it certainly has something special about it yeah yeah mm. absolutely but it's good but richard on to yourself so we like to start off on the do more good podcast like right at the beginning um we'd like to go back <laughs> you know roll back the clock a few years just understand your your journey into to fundraising and, and and what led you to to be to being sat here today
2: well, I sort of f- fell into it as you do, as I've heard. You know, <laughs> many of your others that have been on on um, the the podcast say, and it was uh, at university at Student Rag, where you know I had the pleasure to get involved at Loughborough Rag, and I know you've chatted to, to Jane Turner as well. And I took on, I got the you know elected as sabbatical chair, and it just opened my eyes to this world that I didn't know existed. And then, what really took it further, we started to engage charities um and we saw that we could be much better united and i i did my first ever trust application to the prince's trust to ask for them to help us get the rags all talking together forgot about it went home and then after i'd finished my time at loughborough this check for seven thousand pounds came through to help us set up uh, what became the National Association of Rags. It was a first attempt as a sort of unified rag group. Yeah. And, it, and it just got us engaged with charities and involved And in the, There were all sorts of other characters who now, you know, work for charities. And that was, gosh, some 30 years ago. And then I got my first job with Oxfam. It was for three months. It was to help with a student fun run that they were organising each year in conjunction with the National Union of Students sponsored by the Daily Telegraph and I ended up at Oxfam for eight years. You know, just uh you know, got landed another sh- contract and another piece of work and I loved it. And so I I abandoned a career in a, in electronic and electrical engineering, which is what I'd <laughs> done my degree in, and embraced this bizarre world of fundraising. And never looked back. Well, there are times I think I've had the odd <laughs> wobble, but there is something quite special about it and I uh, and I and I think, you know, particularly where you feel you have made, you've really genuinely made an impact on whatever it is that your, you know, your cause is about, that's where it really, you know, hits something special. And there's also something I know, you know, where when a fundraiser secures a gift or, you know, result, there's something inside you that gives that spark of you want to punch the air. There is. There's something about that. As we well. get that with every
0: Twitter follower, <laughs> we every single one of you. Thank you very much. It seems like looking back at your your career as Kenneth ran through
2: there. There's a lot of overseas
0: aid in there. Is that the thing that really kind of picture? Yeah,
2: I, I I think I've learned that on occasion. On one occasion, I sort of went a, a move sideways. I worked for a fabulous organisation that works in the area of conservation. But for me, it started to you know it wasn't quite ticking my box in the same way. And I learned that if if you fundraise for something you are genuinely passionate about, I think people can tell. I think they can hear it in your own voice. I think it helps your own energy levels. It helps you push through those moments when things do get tough. So where possible, I would really recommend, you know, try and find a cause that you can truly get behind. And I think most causes at their root will have something that will be a spark. And that's why they started off. So Mm. if you join an organization and you, and it's not quite there for you go and find it go and find that sparkle that will that will get you excited about them and is that kind of a mantra that you've lived you've lived throughout your career have you always kind of followed that spark for you uh, yes or no in that 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 was a spark for me and then increasingly i've been involved in advising other charities and other causes and i've come to appreciate that absolutely i could get passionate about things that don't just tick the box of international development but that was the one that really worked worked for me but it would be my you know i think if if you're starting out as a fundraiser try and try and find the things that really get you going get you out of bed in the morning yeah
0: we touched on it earlier but getting out of bed every morning and seeing that that trophy as fundraiser of the year <laughs> must be nice <laughs> it's glass yeah it is, oh, it is
2: no it is it's somewhere in the one of the you know in the is it in the downstairs to toilet. No, like, not, quite, not quite. Not quite. Not quite. The huge Star, cabinet Star. with all the other
1: trophies. Yes.
2: But it was a great moment because actually, what was funny was I had been put forward without my knowledge. So, the chief executive at Farm Africa, who was just fantastic, one of the best bosses I've ever had, a woman called Dr. Christy Peacock, had put me forward. And at the same time, Alan Clayton, who you may have come across, had put me forward too. And and so there, I'm at the convention, at the dinner, and then they start reading out this bio of the person who's won the award, you know, (laughs) and, you know, it started at student rag and, and then then these things, and then, you know, (laughs) suddenly dawned on me, isn't that me? Um, And they'd even uh, arranged for my wife to come over. I didn't even know she was there so she could see my reaction. So it was great. It was really good. I was, I was really touched. And it, and it was we had an amazing year at Farm Africa. We really did. It was, it was a year where there was a drought in Ethiopia. It was the year 2000. Um, we did our first ever emergency appeal. We had one of those financial crises as well, mm. you know, when there's a few skeletons in the cupboard and we turned to our close supporters and we landed some key major gifts. So it was fantastic to be recognized uh, as a result of that as well.
1: And what's in terms of the kind of fundraising spectrum? Is there anything that really kind of lights your fire in terms of the different disciplines? I mean, we hear a lot about now about fundraisers being generalists and having to understand all of the disciplines. But is there one that kind of stands out for you?
2: I, I mean, I do go back to that sort of community route, if you like. I really, you know, when you do student rag, you really get to understand, you know, what can fire people up. And I think it was a really good grounding for all my future fundraising. Mm. And I think it's often undervalued about how the importance of those relationships beyond just the money it raises, as well. And so I'm I'm a great fan of of community fundraising, community engagement, however you put it. The one that gets my heart going is obviously major gifts. <laughs> and a, and when when you do land those gifts, you look back on it and you see, boy, yes, you did put the work in. You know, so it's it's not. It's not just luck. And um, so I I think the one that's closest to my heart is community fundraising, but the one that gets my heart beating the fastest is, is major giving. Have you ever had any major gifts experience, James?
0: No, not really. You bought a round once, which counted <laughs> for me as a major gift, but <laughs> I think that's about as well close played, as I've got. No, I've never really delved into that, into the dark
1: arts of, of No, I must gift. admit, it was something that always, kind of, you looked at the team, maybe that's in every charity, you look at the major gift team and you're like, oh, they, go, they all look so smart, they're well turned out, you know, they're all pink, super
2: more intelligent than pink, myself. Pink boots and ponytails.
0: Pink what? boots and ponytails,
1: yeah. exactly. Um, but always thought that it would be something that I'd be interested in like, exploring in the future. Let
2: though. me tell you about my first ever major gift. So, I we were in a place it was a tapas bar and i was meeting some uh, some people from the resource alliance actually and uh, we i was at farm africa and we just heard that a we were going to lose a major grant if we couldn't land fifty thousand in in a number in a 48 hours wow and so we wondered what to do and it was a project in ethiopia to do with forestry and we knew of a a a supporter who had never given a major gift but we knew he was a bit of a tree hugger I Mm -hmm. suppose Mm -hmm. and so I thought hang on we've got a contact with this person and that's the first rule of major gifts it's not just anybody who could introduce them so the Farm Africa's president knew this this person we knew he had capacity to give that sort of amount and we knew he had the passion and those those are the three rules if you have those three things Mm -hmm. But what happened next was I tried to contact him earlier that day and hadn't got through. Lo and behold, my mobile phone rings, and it's this this supporter. So I have to make the ask. With a mouthful of chorizo. In this, ta- this tapper spa, which is music blaring, there's a Kennington Road on the other side. It was really busy. So I'm sort of jammed between these two zones. And what I learned was that it, you don't have to have the perfect pitch. You don't have to be dressed to you know, impress You've just got to put the question. And what he said to me was such a valuable lesson. He says, you know, I can't give you 50, but I can give you half. Mm. And actually, once we'd landed the, h- the half, we landed the other 25 really quickly. Mm. But it was my first ever major gift, and I'll never oh, forget wow. it. <laughs> to have an audience there for you as well is perfect. I can imagine yeah. you
1: walking back into that, that tapas bar with, you know, you must have been on the ceiling, weren't you? Like
2: well it's sort of and then I was thinking crikey we've got to raise the other oh, 25 but, right, yeah, yeah. but then of course you could go to the, your next support and say look we we need 50 we've got 25 yeah, yeah. and I think we got someone who then gave us another 15 and then it was it was uh, easier to close But
0: patatas bravas are on me <laughs> yeah, I imagine yeah, that is yeah. what said you could have just gone to, to Rob Woods of course who <laughs> owes you so much in royalties <laughs> for telling the solar aid story um, that he could have covered you know could have cover double that amount well it's he? a great story though. it, it is a great, it's a great story it's, a, it's, a, it's his go to case
2: study isn't it <laughs> I think? yeah he's been pushing me says come on richard i need some i need some other examples to use now <laughs> but
0: it's brilliant you're, you're gonna, gonna have to you're
2: gonna to have to tell our well, listeners about it now. i have to, i think of my if i look back on my fundraising career farm africa and solar aid would have to be my two highlights and uh solar aid where i spent five years and i still still do a, a bit of uh, work with them it's just fantastic because i had the freedom i think to experiment, to 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 try a different approach to fundraising, and uh, and to give them credit, they they allowed me to do that. So, are we going to hear the story? Yeah, go on, Richard. We've we'll we a- it a- up now. So, um, so I start started there, and went when I began at Solar Aid. Right. We did lots of stuff. We did solar cookers, we did solar panels on schools and clinics, and we did a small project doing solar lights. And one of the things I was really keen is that we had a very what's our story that we're going to try and excite supporters in? and the chief executive got this and said right let, well let's set an ambition and we decided partly when we look back at our history and the stories we told to focus on the fact that most families in Africa use kerosene lamps or candles to to light their home because they don't have access to electricity uh, and we set this ambitious goal to eradicate the kerosene lamp from Africa. And that suddenly became our consistent narrative. And it immediately transformed our fundraising. I, I, I remember meeting a major supporter who said, oh, yeah, well, great. Now, and I mean, I love your vision, but it's a bit fluffy. But now you've got something that inspires me. And literally on the spot, he committed to give a major gift there and then. And you gave people who supported you the same lamp,
0: that you were giving your beneficiaries and that sparked conversations and it encouraged other people to give. I mean, it's so simple, but it's genius. to
2: do. Well, it, was, it came about, we were, I remember being at an awards event and I was sitting around a table with various guests and someone asked me about SolarAid and I showed him the solar light that we used and he said, oh, how much for that? And I went, well, how much you, you know, I sort of bartered. 20, 25 <laughs> he, grand, isn't well, it? He, <laughs> he gave me, I think, 50 pounds for this five pound solar light. And that sparked the idea of, duh! You know we should get this into the hands of people. And he wanted it because he wanted to explain our concept to other people. And so we went to a lot of trouble. And actually, it's it's quite difficult to import solar lights from China into the UK. You know we so have just, to now. Oh yeah. <laughs> and we didn't quite know what would happen. And I remember just a few months in, we had a run of new donors, each giving quite large. You know, for uh, people phoning up or sending in cheques for £60, £70. And we couldn't quite figure out why, because they are all coming from pretty much the same postcode. And it turns out, you know, we quizzed someone who phoned in, you know, what's what's going on here? And he said, oh, um, it's Dorothy at number two. She's got one of your solar lights. And she's knocking on everyone's door saying... They have to give to Solaraid. Dorothy. Brilliant. Everyone needs a Dorothy. <laughs> yeah, what an brilliant. ambassador! For I can't you. remember if it was Dorothy, but I actually think it was because I know we we talk about <laughs> Dorothy, Dorothy number
0: two. Yeah, <laughs> it was. Yeah, yeah, absolutely was. She knocked on knocked on
2: out. Richard,
1: I'd like to just to go back a, a little bit. You, you've touched on it as you've spoken then about kind of key individuals. And you mentioned Christy when you were at Farm Africa, and you know you mentioned when you were at Solaraid about having that flexibility to really be innovative. I just wondered if you, we, we like to give on the Do More Good podcast. Think about people who are listening that are maybe at the start of their career, their own personal development. I just wondered what did, how did you focus on your personal development during your early
2: career? I think the thing I've learned is you know stick with it because your first year at any organisation isn't really your first year. You know you, you're you're learning from. Or whatever your predecessor did mm-hmm. your second year is really your first year because you're learning from what you did in your first year and your third year is when you start to land and really make an impact mm. and if i look back organizations where i've spent uh, you know farm africa and solar aid were both five years mm. that i committed to and and i think that's you make you really start to make a difference after two years and i i think it's a shame that there's a reputation isn't there that people sort of 18 months two years in move job because that's if they stuck with it and they could stick with it that's probably when they would really start to see the fruits of all the labor so my advice would be try you know try and stick with it that doesn't always happen and i've i've had times when two years in i i need to move you know i've not clicked with you know, key people and I thought, right, I, you know, now is the time to find somewhere else. So why do you think that is then, that 18 months, two years? Because we,
1: we, we hear it often. I mean, I've heard it for as long as I've been in the sector, especially when you, you move to London and then you see how many charities there are and opportunities. But what is it that 18 months, two years? And what can we do to address that?
2: I guess that's when it can get hard, you know, when it can get difficult. And, and also there's the attraction of something shinier and New. some green grass yeah. elsewhere. So, mm, I mean, it comes mm. back to what we touched on earlier. If you find something that you passionately believe in, that might help you also see things through. You know, you really want to make an impact on the ground and whatever at work that, that uh, your charity is involved with. Mm. So I think just having that staying power, I think mm. will, is, you know, will add real value if you can do that in, during your career.
1: You know what? We maybe need to think about an 18 to two-year club. Like you can only access it as a fundraiser. If you've been there 18 months or two years, you bring everybody together who's in the same position. (laughs) You know, you get them to share their learnings. You get them to commit. To staying on a bit longer. Maybe that's what we need.
0: Have a support group for the, that difficult six months. Yeah, so because
1: when... it is a difficult... Uh, and, and, I mean, yeah. I'm sure you can empathise with that from your, you know... Definitely,
0: after a year is when, 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 it, when things start going wrong and I can't blame it on anybody else, as you were saying. Your second year is your first year, right? That was... Um...
2: I think the other factor, and that's what we learned at SolarAid, was setting an inspiring ambition mm. you know that unites not just fundraisers but the whole organisation. You know, Suddenly the culture started to shift that... Gets that we need to invest in fundraising, that it's supportive of fundraising because it's that internal culture that can also wear fundraisers down. And so, uh, I, I think that's something that can be really unifying and and you know enable people to have an environment where they can they can thrive and be the best that they possibly
1: can. Yeah, I like that, that you touched on the kind of three years thing, and you know that's when you really start to deliver.
0: How long have you been at Sue Rider, James? <laughs> <laughs> two two and a half. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you touched on it there um and i'm, I'm scanning through ken's notes yes i'm very prepared this week about stress for fundraisers and ways of
2: coping with that and you've talked about that in the past
0: would you talk about some of the techniques that you've identified for dealing with that
2: well like you i i love going out for, you know just going out on a run just gets my head in the right space uh, and another another discipline i do is i just sit down i get i find a little cafe there's plenty to choose from these days and i just think about the day ahead you know what is it i want to achieve and i i write down those a list for the day to do and it's amazing i'm just one of those people and i'm i know there are others out there where just being able to tick off you know i've achieved this today really helps so i think little things like that are really key that you need to build into your sort of working day certainly i find the
0: the running thing, and I've only really been doing it for the past few months, and then I ran a little bit. Did, didn't do enough training for the Great North Run last year. And the commute into work, so I cycle into work. That hour where you can't be on your phone, and you can't be checking your emails, and you can't be thinking about where all you can think about is the, is the truck on the outside or whatever, or how much I'm dying up that hill. Just for that hour to be thinking purely about that, it, it helps me just switch off. I think I
1: I read something recently which was talking about footballers. And I mean, there's been well documented, you know, over the last few years about mental health in football and, you know, footballers when they finish their career. But a lot of them talking about that time on the pitch was that time when they were just completely free of everything and all of those thoughts. They were in that flow state, mm. right? They weren't yeah. thinking about everything, and I'm sure we all aspire to be there. But actually, as a normal p- normal person, when you're not playing in front of forty thousand people every week, you know, just exercise allows you to do that, doesn't it? You're kind of focused on that one physical activity, that exertion, and that, that, that can think, happen
0: at work as well. You get into that state of flow where you know you're, pu- I don't know, you're pulling together the presentation, and you know exactly what you're going to say and how you're going to present it, and you're just in the you're excited about it and getting it done mm-hmm. making it happen you almost Rather don't have to try about it. yeah you're not trying you're yeah. just making it happen yeah, those yeah. wonderful moments
2: and i think the happen. third thing is is celebrate those moments when you have those achievements you know whether it's an email mm-hmm. around or yeah, yeah. just something within your organization that allows you to recognize you know even a small win because it's those things that you know often you need to sort of draw back on don't you when you're having you know when you're going through a difficult patch and that's a common theme amongst
1: a lot of people that we've spoke to about celebrating those small achievements and I mean we referred to the other day I think you know having that that email folder of kind of Mm. that to look back on during them difficult times and just think I did that I had a role in that I had a role in someone feeling that way or that gift coming in or that success or achieving that I think it's always good
2: to reflect, and we're not very good at doing that. Sort of related to that, something that always surprised me was the number of times that, uh, and I'd always be nervous about doing it, but if I would, I tried to get into a habit of trying to call a supporter each week, um, you know, and it could be for any reason, you know, I'd just push myself to do it. A bit like, you know, you've got to do your podcast, you've got to make it happen. And just about every time, I would just think, wow, wasn't that a great call? And that. In, it would re-inspire me because one of the most natural things you can say to a supporter or a donor is, oh, I'm just curious to know why, why you chose to support us. Mm. And often they will share quite an emotional reason for, for doing that. And, it, and in a way it can sort of root you back in, oh, yeah, that's why I do this thing. That's a great a tip. Yeah. That is
1: a really good tip. Because I yeah, think the amount of fundraisers that you talk to, that they climb the ladder. And of course, the less supporter contact comes, more operational focus, more internal focused. The politics, the budgets, and, and you get you you, you remove yourself, or well you don't remove yourself. You you get removed from the, the coalface and the supporter quite often. And
2: I remember calling before. one lady, and she said, "You know what? I've given to several charities, and you're the first ever to call me up to say nice. thank you." And I thought, "Oh, yeah. great stuff!" That's so that's pretty special.
0: In your blog, you also talked about the the importance of sleep yes yeah you Uh, obviously haven't been hanging around with (laughs) kenneth jesus you don't get a lot of that with a night out with kenneth let me tell you but 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 that is also key isn't it the the time as we said like the time to switch off and and totally
2: i now have one of these sleep apps which i religiously look at to see you know um you know what's the sort of trend but yeah fundraising can be exhausting and i i mean i remember when i was at oxfam i was doing more event fundraising and i just remember being completely shattered after as as no doubt you've experienced after you've done a major event yeah and you just need to pace yourself because you can otherwise you can get run down and that post event blues that would kick it's in real. oh my real. goodness yeah absolutely i think we can all empathize yeah. with that it sure. certainly happens i mean i
1: remember after london marathon last year and getting to end of the day on the sunday and then waking up on the monday and it was
2: like oh
1: like down to earth like
2: here we go again yeah yeah start planning for next year book that holiday in or whatever that break that's going to get you back into those energy levels that you need so whilst Kenneth is off getting the drinks in I'll just remind
0: you that you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Do More Good Pod or take a look at the website domoregood.uk which is where you can sign up for the Do More Good newsletter a reminder about new episodes news on our latest plans and perhaps some VIP content now I'm a big fan of the like, whereas Kenneth is more of a retweet kind of guy. Either way, we'd love to hear from you with thoughts, suggestions, reviews, or just to let us know you got home okay. Anyway, he's on his way back now.
1: Richard, there was one thing that you <clears throat> that we spoke about when we were discussing coming along today about your interest in in, in kind of the concept of everyone now being a, a channel, and and obviously as we as we touched on in your in your bio. Communication is obviously, seems to be part of your DNA. It's probably a topic that you're, you're really interested in. I just wondered if we can probably unpack this a little bit more about the opportunity to do great fundraising, but exploring everyone being a channel and actually what that means. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that?
2: Yeah, so I, I came, I, like a lot of fundraisers, were wondering what the hell was going on about 10 years ago. And I, uh, I was in a dream job um, at ActionAid, and I, I, we were really struggling. And I realised... Actually, I wasn't enjoying my job anymore. So I, I decided, I, I you know did what you're not meant to do. I handed in my notice and then I went on a bit of a quest. And in between jobs, I read this amazing book by a chap called Grant Laboff called Sticky Marketing. And it's not about fundraising. But his concept was this, was that everyone is now a channel and this changes things profoundly. And what he made me realize is the first consequence, which I, I think really helped me, was that... We're all drowning in the noise, mm. you know, so with, particularly with mobile devices. So we dislike interruption, and a lot of fundraising, certainly 10 years ago, even more so, relied on interruption. Mm. And I think the resp- and you're going to get less response, And so you can do one of two things. You can either sort of shift your mindset, or you do what I think a lot of organizations did. They just shouted louder, which just irritated people even more. So lo and behold, a few years later, I, you know, I think we started to suffer the consequences of that. But having had this epiphany, then that's when I thought, right, I need a place to experiment. And that's when I came across SolarAid. And I said, right. look, guys, you're up for applying things differently. Because everyone is a channel is a problem, but it's also an opportunity. Yes. Because every person, whether you, it's your staff, your volunteers, or even your organization, now has the means to, you know spread a message Mm, mm. Uh, and it gets even better Mm. but it was that concept that got us got us really started started to get us thinking about how could we approach fundraising a little bit differently
1: okay and in terms of someone maybe listening to this thinking
2: okay I can see what that means
1: How did you go about that in the first instance when you went into SolarAid and think about... That's your Dorothy
0: at number two in Capsula. Well, she uh, becomes your channel.
2: It's better though. It's better because we didn't realize this. Because what basically, it's better that Dorothy talks to her friends about SolarAid than SolarAid talks to her friends. And so that's the first thing is, is she has greater social capital. But the thing we didn't realize is you do not know who Dorothy's friends are. You do not. And what we started to realize is that it isn't just about someone recruiting another cash donor or a regular donor. They could open the door to a foundation or a corporation. And at Solaraid, we used to call it the magic. We'd go, oh, that was a bit lucky, wasn't it? We've had a company ring up to say that we've been awarded a large grant or a foundation invite us to apply. Mm. And it wasn't luck. It was it was. It was this social capital at work where someone had been so taken by what we'd done, had really valued the thank you that had been sent, and then had recommended us to their workplace, or had said, You know, you know I I think I'll help, you know, get help them with this um foundation application. Mm. And that's where things really started to punch above their weight in a way that we hadn't envisaged. It kind of reminds me of the conversation we had
1: with Alana Jackman actually, when she was talking about Event fundraising, as in sport and event fundraising, and she was talking about the London marathon and she was saying that you know a lot of charities invest quite significantly in their post event receptions and you know and they get family and friends come along to support the runners, but they don 't often really explore all of those people in that room and and where the connections are and where the opportunities but actually that 's a perfect ripe opportunity moment to to have those discussions. Yet they probably bring a few volunteers along, a few staff, and you know, and just enjoy the party. But that's a real opportunity, and, yeah. and it'd be great to see more organisations using that. Our
0: events team sold out of all of their events last year through a few key ambassadors that they engaged. And then, as you say, they had amazing social capital. We didn't realise that at the time, but they did. And then they went and recruited all of their mates. And it was then when all of those friends came and then that secondary audience all turns up at post-race receptions, you think, wow, we have mm. struck gold. The magic has happened here this year. How do, we, how do we make that happen again next?
2: But there is a catch. And the catch is, for it to really work, your organisation needs a consistent story. You know, So you hear about SolarAid, you tell your friends, your friends tell someone else, someone looks at your website, and it's the same narrative. Or they phone up and they talk to the receptionist. And I think so many organisations haven't really nailed that. They've, you know, they do lots of stuff, and they've lost that. What was the why, if you like? And really understanding that, you know, what is it that that unites them in that consistent narrative that is powerful? You know, it's emotional. I think is now so key. And you, you before you could have got away with it. Now you can't. You really must sort that out because it, that's how you leverage this 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 concept of everyone being a channel and the magic and the social capital that goes with it. So, who, are you seeing anyone, or have you seen any examples of that in the current charity climate? Absolutely. You know where, and it's organisations that set ambitious missions. You know, mm. impossible dreams, if you like. And I think that helps not just unify the organisation, which helps create that culture. It also helps attract uh, potential corporate partners because they can see that they are not going to achieve it on your own. Mm. Earlier this week, I was with the the Leprosy Mission and they're talking about the eradication of leprosy. Uh, You know, it's a disease that still exists and it shouldn't. There's an organization called the International Justice Mission, which I met their fundraiser, Tina, the other week, who is such an inspiration. And they focused on uh, ending slavery, and it's, it's those sort of ambitions that I think organisations need. And don't get me wrong, these things sometimes can be really hard to find because it's not rational. It's often quite emotional. You can't just get around a flip chart. It's often through the storytelling and understanding the spark that started your organisation. But what amazes me is, is organisations just don't seem to invest the time and the resources in nailing that core message than they do in other areas where they're quite happy to spend you know, a, a significant chunk of money on an appeal mailing or you know, something else. And I think that's something that they need to absolutely nail is, is what's that spark or that narrative. And it's, it's, it's really key. It's quite
1: interesting. I want to sh- touch on something that I, I saw this week with Richard, and it'll be interesting to get your, your view. I saw a, a Jeff Bezos quote, old Jeff Bezos, friend of the pod, of course. Um, When's he on? <laughs> yeah, Couple of weeks still, on. still waiting. Couldn't, yeah. Fight, couldn't quite land the plane down Bermondsey <laughs> Street, um, to be honest. But it was all about failure. And it was in Harvard Business Review, and it said if you're going to take bold bets, they're going to be they're going to be experiments. And if they're experiments, you don't know ahead of time if they're going to work. <laughs> but a, a few big success compensate for dozens of things that didn't work.
0: Just before you answered
1: that one, Richard, you were reading you were reading the Harvard Business Review. No, I saw it on. Th- you know when you see these things on Twitter, and I was like that. Re- I really connect with that, and then just explore. It was just it. on Twitter. Okay, it was on Twitter. Right. I didn't read the Harvard Business oh. Review, James. You, okay. you know, you know me well enough you. by now. But I thought it summed up failure quite well, and, and the fact about being bold. And of course, Jeff Bezos and these other entrepreneurs are known for, be, for, for being quite bold and in, in, in innovative. I think the reality is, when you start digging beneath the surface, that they spread their bets quite equally. Like They, they, they were pretty and know what they're doing. You
0: had three other podcasts on the go, didn't you? Before? Exactly. Yeah, this but I think fun. just the, 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 the
1: point about um, not being afraid to fail, trying something different, it seems to be a thread that's come out through our conversation today, how can we encourage more charities when we're in a climate which is very difficult, fundraising's difficult, some would say it's getting more difficult, the risk or the appetite for risk is potentially reducing amongst a lot of boards, um, trustees potentially. How can we ensure that we are being bold and and, and, and innovative and and, and not being afraid of
2: failure? Yeah, well, I, I think I've come to learn there's a real fine line between success and failure. And the danger is organizations where something fails and they brush it under the carpet the only person who really you know benefits is the person who probably then leaves the organization and takes that learning with them whereas if you can take it out and analyze it and understand why and maybe make some changes then you can make make the leaps and um, I was very fortunate that SolarAid had a culture that both in its program work really loved failure go oh that's really interesting that didn't work (laughs) And sometimes our greatest breakthroughs was as a result of that. Um, But I think too many organizations, maybe because they're very accustomed to very predictable results, which are becoming increasingly harder, just don't have that internal culture, uh, almost entrepreneurial. I heard Alan Clayton speak about this some time back. And what he said is an entrepreneur doesn't... Try and prove if something works. He, it, they try and understand how to make it work. Yes, and you know that's that's their drive. They're, it's and they and that's the culture you need within organisation. Is how are we going to make this work? Not will it work? Black and white. Mm. And you keep working something. And I think that's what really helped me when I had this concept of everyone being a channel. I knew the basis of it was right, and we were going to give it a go. And uh, sure, I had to. We had to deliver the results, but we just kept at it and kept the faith until the magic started to land again and again. And then we knew we were really onto something. Mm.
0: There's another, another common thing with entrepreneurs is they'll say, well, I'll just keep going until it works and you know, just plow on forward. However many investors turn me down, I, I stuck with my idea and I kept going. And I, I, I always feel a little bit dubious about whether or not that's true, but maybe it was a, more of um, an approach of failing and then and then looking at that failure and seeing what hadn't worked and tweaking it and playing with it but sticking with the original concept and maybe maybe about a year ago it was quite fashionable to say it, it's okay to fail here and mm. we fail fast and we it, and again I felt a little bit uncomfortable around that that it wasn't it's not okay to fail no one wants to fail no one enjoys that but mm. there is a cultural thing around okay we didn't enjoy that no one enjoys that let's look at it analyze it and do it better next time. Well,
1: right. I think that's one of the points that it was saying in, in the article that I wrote when I was, you know, sitting with the Harvard Business Review. Business review. Uh, it was talking about a mission bias, which is saying most people with a new idea choose not to follow it because if they try and fail, it will be a career setback. Yep. And I think, you know, kind of connecting to your point earlier about people kind of moving on every couple of years and, you know, that failure of that project, if you're in year two, you know, you feel like, oh, where am I going to go from here? You know, is that going to affect my future career? Or am I am I almost too scared to actually fail? People
0: must go through that. That is it a bell curve where they turn up in an organisation, they they perform quite well in an interview, mm. and then they start and because they perform quite well in the interview, the manager who's employed them wants them to do well and backs them, and then they do well and everything's good, and all of a sudden, the expectation rises for that person. We become accustomed to how good they are it kind of dips mm. and you get into a period yeah. where actually you're not the star of the show anymore and you're just doing what you've always done but it isn't being recognised as much to then kind of kick on and, and find, push yourself onto more stuff. And all, uh, Kenneth, like amazing notes this week. Oh, I've right, got thanks. to say, they're really <laughs> good. Oh, okay. Whatever you've stolen from the, the Harvard <laughs> Business Review is well worth it. You talked also about loss aversion and the tendency for people to play not to lose. Mm. I was reading that on the tube down and I've underlined it. That's awesome. how, on a wobbly tube, i underlined yeah. it. Um, I thought it was really good, but
2: I think you're right. I think we're in a place where fundraisers are going to you know, need that permission to fail in order to cut through to how are we going to make how are we going to make fundraising work really well for us now. And mm-hmm. and there's an obsession, isn't there, with the classic ROI and, and very much in particular areas. Whereas now it's all interconnected, and so the danger is you stop doing something because it's not delivering on the ROI you need, and yet. That was the very thing that was underpinning your legacies or or so you 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 've got to look at everything in the round rather than get s- self obsessed with uh, seeing things in isolation it will be
1: interesting and, and just a thought that's just come to me with the with the coronavirus obviously being around and and again we were kind of just touched on it before we started recording about the impact that's having and actually only over the last few days I've realized the wider impact when you speak to people who are working in events and they realize that you know lots of freelancers are now out of out of business because all of their events have been cancelled and then you look at people working in travel and of course you know that's all people are staying where they are and retail and every sector being impacted and of course the charity sector is being impacted i'm sure you know donations are, are down at the moment because everyone's not sure what's what's going to go and what's going to happen but i wonder out of that when charities come to look at budgets next year and you know potentially if coronavirus does impact what they had set for this year whether that will trigger well we've got to be a bit more bolder because we've got a bit of a deficit here or we've got you know we've got some we've got some a gap that we need to make up we've got to do some kind of bolder ambitions it will be interesting
2: to see how that plays
1: out or do people go conservative and safe
2: I suppose time will tell. And I think having that diversity of income as well, because you know clearly there could be areas, you know, if, if companies are uncertain, they maybe they're less likely to con- commit to to longer term partnerships mm. for the time being. So having a diverse income base across you know a range of sources is is, is going to really help uh, charities see through this patch for the time being.
0: And, uh, Uh, Virginia Anderson at Scotland Conference 2018 talked about exactly that and about having stripy income lines. So you've got various different things going on that bring in your income. And I'm going to combine that with your talk there about um, the consistency of... Ask and, and what you're asking for throughout all of those income lines. That's going to be a great line for me in my next interview. Thank you very much. Great, great. Yeah, that'd be
1: really good. <laughs> when is yeah. your next interview? <laughs> <laughs> telling, so, Richard, before we let you go, and I'm sure you know, we could sit here and and, and, and talk to to you all evening. There's, there's there's lots of topics that we we could talk about, but I just wanted to get your get your thoughts on on what does the future and and we touched on it a little bit there about kind of the here and now and what we're experiencing as charities or or companies working in the not-for-profit space we're going to be impacted by this coronavirus but looking ahead what what hope do you have what what signs of hope are there in the future what any trends or anything that you've identified that you think i want to keep an eye on that
2: well i think there's just a great opportunity because there are so many huge issues aren't there to tackle and i think if you can harness the energy of that's why I get excited about the potential of everyone being a channel, because if you can inspire people about your cause, your mission, that's just, that just gets them energized as well. And so I think it's, it's, you know, let's get organizations to be really open about what it is they're trying to achieve and the, and the obstacles in the way, because everybody loves to solve a problem and an obstacle, you know, but whether it's a corporation or a major supporter. So I think it's just seeing it through that lens and, and really to move away from what I would call a bit of a tired model, which is about trying to sort of push people up the donor, donor pyramid, if you like. I don't think it's about how to get more money out of me. I think it's about how to inspire me to spread, spread your story, which then begs the question, what's your story? And then you've got to really nail that. And I think if we do that, we'd be really surprised because I think we'll actually raise more money than than that old paradigm which um you know i think works against us so i am I'm, I'm optimistic but only if we can have that shift in mindset about how we approach and think about fundraising it's a good way to love end it, it. Yeah, yeah good really powerful yeah. thank you so Brilliant. much
1: right richard we're not going to let you go without going through our quick fire questions You've um, listened to an episode before, haven't you? I you, have, know, yes. you know what you Well, <laughs> I'm not sure if he has listened to an episode because at the start of the conversation, I'm going to call this out in the live recording. <laughs> um, he actually referred to Jane from the Rag, Jane from Loughborough Rag, Jane Turner. Turner, and you said she'd, you'd had her on our podcast oh have i mixed up podcasts it was no. actually the Fixing fundraising podcast oh no from, um I've been tom dufrain and andy king oh. i believe so uh yes. an excellent episode he oh, said uh, well i'd yeah, actually listen, listen to that, to that one. one it was it well, was I, very have, good.
2: I have to say i <laughs> <laughs> the way i spend my journeys now is i just grab podcasts and, and you know, everyone should be doing this is just you know grab a podcast and listen because yeah. what a fantastic way to use your time Absolutely. on the tube
1: no, i will not hold. I'm not hold it against you. Don't Very worry. <laughs> but I'm sure they'll. I'm sure they'll enjoy a, a, a bit of Twitter Twitter banter on that one. James, you want to go first? I'll Qu- go five first. questions.
0: All right. If you could transport back in time and meet your 20 year old self, what podcast would you tell? No. <laughs> what uh, What would piece of advice would you give them, and why?
2: Oh, I would say go with your gut. Go Go with your gut feeling, um, and when it feels. Right to move. Yeah, make, make that step. You'll don't, know. Don't worry about it. You'll mm. be fine. Mm. Makes sense.
1: Okay, and can you tell us about one life hack or productivity tool or some habit or a skill or something that you've taught yourself recently that you think everybody should know about?
2: I love the fact there's a... Oh, I forget the name, but someone out there will remember it. But there's... Um, you can look at your website history so you 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 go somewhere and it gives you web history doesn't it so yep. you can look at what your website looked like 10 years ago ah, and sorry, I and i've heard of that and it's recorded it all um and it's just fascinating uh, i really recommend that because you can start to see that sort of transition and you know for that consistency of message so i'm not sure if it's a life hack but it's just it's intriguing. well worth winding an hour away with,
1: isn't it? <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, sure. you can imagine what, the, what what some of the websites look like in oh, the early yeah. 90s and things like that. There must yeah. be some bright gems out there. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Good one.
0: And finally, uh, as a podcast that is focused on people doing more good, what is your favourite story or inspiring individual you've met on your journey who has done something good for others?
2: Oh, gosh. Oh.
1: <laughs> There's too many.
2: Too... Favorite person. Someone story. out
1: there right now
0: is in the same situation you were at that award ceremony, where they're going to feel suddenly <laughs> this is very familiar. I've heard this story before. I recognise this.
2: Oh,
1: I think we. I, I just to give you a bit more time, Richard. I think we need to rephrase, rephrase that question. I was looking at it the other day, and I was oh. thinking because it's a it, tough one. It's a tough one when you go so broad, and so I was thinking you could probably narrow it down to someone you've met recently, this week. Maybe then Today. maybe someone t- will choose t- us. <laughs> 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 That's what I'm aiming for. Um, no, but you know, like someone that you've met recently. Yeah. Oh, well,
2: I th- I've mentioned him already, but I I read this book by Grant Leboff. And to him credit, he agreed to meet up for a coffee really? and I picked his brains. And now, each year, I'll often meet him up, you know, just to pick his brains and ask him about his latest thinking. Okay. And so... He helped reinvigorate me at a time when I was at a real low. Uh You know, when I thought, oh, I don't know, I can continue fundraising. And then I read his book and I thought that gave me the epiphany to find SolarAid, to try it out and get me going. And I really, you know, he, he, I recommend if you're in Waterstones and you've got 10 minutes to kill, hunt down one of his books and just flick it through. And it's, he doesn't write about fundraising. So you have to sort of translate it, but that's the fun. And I think he helps you understand this new world that we're in and what a fantastic opportunity it could be for
0: and us. The, and the beauty of that for me is that you have taken his message and shared that, and now Rob is piggybacking on the back of your me- <laughs> of what you did with Aid and telling everybody else. That's the exact model that you've adopted from him, that or, or rather you adopted from him that is now working for you, that's beautiful. It all fits together in a lovely circle for us. What was his sticky off?
1: marketing? Did you say it?
2: It's I think his his breakthrough book was Sticky Marketing. He's right. done he's done several since. I think he's done a you know version since then. And he did have a book called The Myths of Marketing, which he just published a, a, a month or so ago. What,
1: what's his background?
2: He's a I guess a marketing thought leader, um, okay. and he you know he generally works in the commercial world, but I. But he has a great vodcast, I believe, and I think he finds the voluntary sector quite intriguing. You know, I've yeah. managed to get him to come along to a few talks. I got him to speak at IFC a year before last, and I think he can really challenge your thinking. And at a time, particularly in the UK, you know, where we need to rethink, rethink that traditional model, and I, mm. I think thought leaders like that can help us get to a new space. Nice. Richard, thank
1: you so much for your time. That was a really pleasure a conversation. Thank you so much. Is there anything that if one of people want to find you or anyone, any final thoughts that you'd like to, to leave? So
2: with? I'm occasionally on Twitter. I go hot and cold. Um, so you know, and I fundraise it. I'll do a blog if I feel there's something that inspires me, you know, whether it's an organization I'm doing work with or, or whether it's just, you know, something as a supporter I see and I think, oh, that was great. Your blog, um,
1: blog was very good, by the way. I read for you quite a few of them in preparation for today and it was fantastic. So I'd certainly recommend that iFundraiser.wordpress.com, right?
2: Yeah, just do, do Google iFundraiser. But like okay. yourselves, you know, I, d- I do it because I enjoy it. It helps process my thinking. Mm. And uh, yeah, it's it's a real pleasure to be able to share something and then people respond going, oh, you know, this, this is helping me as well.
0: James, any final thoughts? Yeah, for me... Um Electrical engineering's loss was fundraising's game. Well,
1: that's it. I'm just about to get on the phone to Tom Dufresne and Andy King and say, well done, lads. (laughs) 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 Anyway, let's wrap it up there. Okay, we'll speak to you soon. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. So, James, just wrapped up another fantastic episode, if I don't say so myself. How did you find it? It's all right, wasn't it? If anyone wants to kind of follow up and actually enjoy this thing where can they find us well we're on twitter kenneth at do more good pod instagram at do more good pod have we gone multi-channel and even gone to youtube we have but you can find all those videos on the website do more and if you want to contact us by email please use contact at do